Good morning and welcome to all our guests, visitors, and listeners on the radio today. I'd like to thank you, Mr. Hayden Temple. That was a very good prelude this morning. Nice job. Today is All Saints Sunday, and we'll remember those who have joined the cloud of witnesses and we'll celebrate communion together. The white carnations on the altar are in remembrance of those on our All Saints list today. Family members are encouraged to come up and take a carnation at the end of the worship. We are looking for one more person to cook a turkey for the church Thanksgiving dinner on November 20th. If you're good at that, please give Pastor Joel a call or call Connie at the church office. If you're not, maybe you shouldn't. (laughs) And also one more announcement, Uh, Weston and Victoria Bartlett are engaged and they're going to get married next September here at First Church, so congratulations. Would you please rise and join me in the call of worship taken from Psalm 16. Keep me safe, my God, for in you I take refuge. I say to the Lord, you are my Lord. Apart from you, I have no good thing. I say of the holy people who are in the land, they are are the noble ones in whom is all my delight. Those who run after other gods will suffer more and more. I will not pour out libations of blood to such gods or take up their names on my lips. Therefore, my heart is glad and my tongue rejoices. My body also will rest secure because you will not abandon me to the realm of the dead, nor will you let your faithful one see decay. You make known to me the path of life. You will fill me with your joy and presence, with eternal pleasures at your right hand. Now remain standing as we sing what a beautiful name it is.
to see all of you here today, and I am so excited to be here. I have been waiting for this very special day for a long time, ever since I did the Operation Christmas Party kickoff back in 
July or August, whenever it was. That was a long time ago, wasn't it? So today we are going to talk about somebody very special. Now, how many of you were in the Sunday school classes when I came to your Sunday school class and talked about Operation Christmas Child? And did I tell you I was excited? I was so excited. I am so excited. I'm going to sing a little song because I am so excited. Operation Christmas Child, a celebration of the season, reaching out in Jesus' name, sharing love far and wide with Operation Christmas Child. That's the song that we learned last year when I went to the processing center, and I have my processing center apron on that we wore last year. So I want to introduce you to someone or something who is very special. And I don't know where Sam is. Sam, where are you, Sam? Where do you think Sam is? Well, Sam is somebody that a lot of people recognize. And if you know anything anything about Operation Christmas Child, you will recognize Sam, but you probably didn't know that Sam had a name. So, I'm going to show you who Sam is. This is Sam. Sam is the name of the logo that symbolizes the airplane for Operation Christmas Child. It it looks like an airplane, doesn't it? It's a raisin box, but if you would put wings on it, it would be a airplane. It would be an Operation Christmas Child airplane. The name of this little mascot is Sam, short for Samaritan's Purse. And if you know about Operation Christmas Child, no matter where you go in the world, you will recognize him because he is on the shoeboxes, right? And he is on the literature and he's on the videos And he's on my apron, he's on my shirt, okay? And this little box, Sam, represents all of the shoe boxes that we pack. Now, why do you think there are wings? Because it's an airplane, right? And the boxes that we pack have to go by airplane, usually from one nation to another. But another thing that you can think about wings is they also can be angel wings because there are always prayers that go with shoeboxes. So I want to ask you if you've been paying close attention to the videos that we did in the science school classes because I want you to tell me how the once the boxes get from 
the churches to the collection points and to the processing centers, how do they get to where they reach the kids? On the boats. On the boats. Okay. What is another way that the boxes get to the children? On an airplane. And what else? What other what other ways? Do you remember some of the videos that we watch? On trucks? On cars? Okay. Let me give you a couple hints. I just happen to have a couple hints in my pocket. Jets. Okay. Well, how about this? Motorcycles. Some of them go by motorcycle, right? Okay. What about what I have in this pocket? No, a donkey. A donkey. Okay, some of them get strapped onto donkeys, right? And what else? What other ways did we talk about when we saw the videos? People walk them. And what else besides walking do they sometimes do? Ride. Ride. Ride a what? Ride a bike. How many boxes do you think you could carry on a bike? I don't know. You'd have to strap a couple on the back and a couple on the sides, and you might have to have a couple on your back and a couple on the front. Might have a book bag. I'm not sure how many would fit in a book bag. It'd have to be a big book bag. And somebody talked about cars. They could go by Jeep, right? They could go by Jeep. A mud car. And what about, what is this one? A wagon or by a cart. Okay, so there are different ways that the boxes go to where they, they could be by train. Yeah, they could be by train too. So there are all different kinds of ways that the boxes go to where they're going to get to. But then once they get to the orphanages or to the churches or to where there has been war or where there has been hurricanes, the, ba- the boxes all get passed out. And well, let me back up a minute. I want to tell you something I forgot about. Silly me. I was talking about how um, the symbol of Operation Christmas Child is recognized worldwide. And who, who's old enough to read? Here, I'll, I'll let you read this. Will you read this for me since you're right close? Will you read me that and tell me what it says? Any, any part of it, whatever you can read on it. What, what part of it can you read? Any of it? None of it. Why? It's in a different language. That's right. It's in a different language. That actually is a German church newsletter that I picked up when I was in Germany two years ago. Do you know what was inside of that? Operation Christmas Child. I was so excited. In Germany, even, they pack boxes for Operation Christmas Child. So no matter where you go, you will recognize you will recognize that. All right, so now let me talk a little more about when the boxes get to where they're going to go. Um, we have... So much excitement, I should say we, because we have fun when we're at the packing party, but when when the boxes get to where they're going to go and the kids get to open their boxes, it is so exciting because, like, they may have never, ever got a birthday present before or a Christmas present before, 
and so they are so excited that they jump up and down and they laugh and they giggle and some of them even cry like I did that this week when I walked into the prayer room the heritage room and there were bags of donated goods and there were boxes of shoe boxes on the table just waiting for me and I was so excited that I cried and you can ask Pastor Joel and Connie and Tori because they all saw me but I was so excited such a good time the kids just jump up and down and jump and down because they're so excited so what i want to do is invite the congregation next week on november 10th to join us for our packing party and we are going to have a party we are having balloons and we are having food and we have plenty of empty boxes yet that can be packed we will exceed our goal Our original goal was 200 boxes, and I'm right now at 150. And I have 250 empty boxes that are willing to be packed if we're we're willing. So there are no rules. It's just a matter of let the Spirit lead you. So for each one of you, I have a little Operation Christmas Child sticker. And I just want to say that this is just a simple way of declaring the good news and great joy that we as Christians have in knowing that Jesus is our Lord and Savior. Let's fold our hands and say prayer, okay? Dear Heavenly Father, thank you for these little blessings, these little children that are so willing to learn and so willing to become little disciples for you. There are so many needy, hungry forgotten children in the world that need to know you and this is just a simple gift a simple reminder that as christians we can do our part to help those in need thank you for operation christmas child thank you for all of the volunteers thank you for the whole program that is a humanitarian effort that opens doors to people in need in jesus name we pray amen Lost in our service in the last week in Iraq, Sergeant Nathan G. Irish, 23, from Billings, Montana. In California, Sergeant Matthew Lowenthal, 24, from Orlando, Florida. Thank you, Jay. As Keith mentioned at the start of our service, today is All Saints Day. It's the day that we acknowledge and and thank the Lord for the faithfulness of those that have gone before us, especially our family and friends and and members of our congregation that have gone to be with the Lord. And so this time I would invite you to, to enter into a spirit of prayer with me as we remember those that have gone before us. Let us give thanks for these brothers and sisters in Christ to whom God has granted rest from their labors. As I read each name in a moment, we pray along, uh, we pray together, Lord, now for these families that these names represent, that they may be filled with peace and hope in the light of your gospel. 
So this day we pray for the families of Don Preter, of Charles Welch, for Donna Larson, Barbara Jean Cook, for Robert Schreer, for Irma Meyer, for Sue Hoagie, for Donald Height, for Vicki Dawson, for Mary Deerhake, for Michael Cook, and for Adrian Cook. Almighty God, we give you thanks for these, your servants, whom we remember today. Grant us grace to follow them as they followed Christ, and bring us with them to those things no eye has seen, nor ear has heard, which you have prepared for those who love you. Give us faith to look beyond touch and sight, and seeing that we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, enable us to run with perseverance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. Bring us at last to your eternal peace through Jesus Christ, our Lord, who taught us to pray, saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Amen. At the end of our service today, we'll also have an opportunity to share communion together. Communion is a reminder of our faith in our Lord Jesus Christ and what he has done for us. And it's also a reminder that, that we take communion not just in the presence of our brothers and sisters in Christ who are in this room, but we take it along with those who have been sharing in that sacrament from the day that Jesus instituted it almost 2,000 years ago until now. We, as we take communion, we're reminded of that great cloud of witnesses that surrounds us as we go through this life together. At this time, let us stand and join together in singing number 546 from our blue hymnals, For All the Saints.
Amen. You may be seated. Let's go to the Lord in prayer for a moment. Lord God, we thank you for the opportunity to give back to you now. I pray that as we as we offer up these gifts, Lord, that you would receive them and you would use them to do the work of the ministry in this place and in, that we may make a gospel impact here in this community and around the world. We thank you for your provision for us. And I pray, Lord, that we would be able to give back um, out, of, out of the many blessings that you've shown to us. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. I invite those who are helping with the offering to come forward at this time.
Good morning, if you'll please stay standing. Our scripture reading today comes from the book of 1 John, chapter 4, verses 1 through 6. Dear friends, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God, because many false prophets have gone out into the world. This is how you can recognize the Spirit of God. Every spirit that acknowledges that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. But every spirit that does not acknowledge Jesus is not from God. This is the spirit of the Antichrist, which you have heard is coming and even now is already in the world. You, dear children, are from God and have overcome them, because the one who is in you is greater than the one who is in the world. They are from the world and therefore speak from the viewpoint of the world, and the world listens to them. We are from God, and whoever knows God listens to us, but whoever is not from God does not listen to us. This is how we recognize the spirit of truth and the spirit of falsehood. Thanks, Jake. You may be seated. Father God, I thank you once again for the, the privilege to stand before uh, this church and to share your word. I pray that as we, as we take a look at it today, that you would guide our hearts and minds and that you would give me words to speak, Lord, that would honor you and, and build up this church. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. How many of you have ever been told to just Google something, right? We were at, Allie and I were out to dinner last night with a, with a couple, and, and as many of my conversations go, they, they had drifted towards sports, and we were talking about sports and its different degrees, and we were trying to figure out how old LeBron James was. We were trying to figure out how old this guy was, and, and finally Allie just said, why don't you Google it? That's why you have a smartphone, right? Just look it up. And sure enough, he just typed in, how old is LeBron James? And before I could even finish typing, it popped right up there with how old he is. He's 34, by the way. Seems a lot older than that, but he's only 34. We have an amazing amount of information at our fingertips. Smartphones give us access to information like never before. Um, and we often think that, you know, if we just want to know something, if we just want quick information, it's easy to just Google it. Just look it up. Well, the passage that John is talking about, that, that John had writ, wrote to the church that we are looking at here today, uh, is, is encouraging us to do something similar. Not Google it because you can never believe everything you read on the internet. But instead he's talking about something else. And he's talking about a spiritual fact check. And he tells us that it's important for us as Christians, as followers of Christ, to not, not fall prey to false teaching or fall prey to uh, something that could distract us from Christ. It's important for us as Christians to be able to spiritually fact check the information and the teaching we have before us. In Acts 17.11, as Paul was traveling around preaching, he came to Berea. And he says that these people in Acts 17.11 received the message with great eagerness and examined the scriptures every day to see if what Paul said was true. What a great example. What a great model for us. They did two things. They received the message with eagerness. They were open to the gospel. They were receptive to what Paul had to say. But they also didn't just take him at his word either. They took the time to study the scriptures, to go back to God's word, to see if what Paul was saying was actually true. And because they did that, because they were diligent in their study of the scriptures, you know, they, they, they received the faith and were able to grow in it. 
And it's important for us to do the same as well, to be able to, to be rooted in God's word, to be willing to be guided by the Holy Spirit so that we don't fall prey for false teaching as well. See, the reality is that false teaching is everywhere. It's not just a problem for the early church, but Jesus, told, Jesus himself said in Matthew 13, 5 and 6, he says, watch out that no one deceive you. Many will come in my name claiming I am he and will deceive many. In fact, Jesus, Paul, Peter, they all warned the church about the reality of false teachers that were already present and will come in the church. And even before Jesus, false prophets were, were, excuse me, were a reality in Jeremiah's day. Jeremiah was, often had, was confronted by prophets who claimed peace, peace, when there was no peace. They were just saying what they knew the king and the people wanted to hear instead of what God was telling them to say. And false teaching continues to be a problem for the church today. And I think there's a few ways that we see it crop up almost unknowingly within our own, uh, within Christianity as a whole. And, And there's times I think that we are susceptible as Christians to these false gospels. One is the prosperity gospel, this idea that Jesus died on the cross so you can be healthy and wealthy and well, right? That God just wants you to be happy and so you must live your best life now. Don't worry about the future. Don't worry about other people. Just focus on yourself and make decisions based completely and totally on that. See, the problem with that idea is that the focus is on yourself rather than God. The focus is on material joy and material uh, possessions rather than eternal life. There's also a political gospel where we tie Jesus too closely to any one political candidate or party. If only he or she were president, things would finally be made right. If this law were passed or the Supreme Court made this decision, then everything would be right in the world. The problem with that is we place too much hope in earthly kingdoms rather than the kingdom of God. It's not wrong to care about or be involved in politics. I believe God gives us that prerogative. But at the end of the day, no matter who wins an election, Jesus is still king. Another false gospel that we fall prey to is this holier-than-thou-art gospel. That somehow we are, because we are Christians, we're better than everyone else. We have it all figured out. And if you want to be a Christian too, you need to straighten up your act, clean up your mess, and then you can come to the Lord. See, the problem with that is it's a salvation that's based on our performance and our standard of right and wrong rather than on grace and rather than on the work that Jesus did for us on the cross. You see, we can easily fall prey to these different uh, false gospels, and there's many more out there than that, both within and without the church, both inside and outside of the church. And that's why John encourages here to test the spirits. Because false teaching is prevalent, we must be prepared to discern truth from fiction. He says here that true teaching is from the Lord. False teaching ultimately finds its roots in the enemy. Even if false teaching is, is secular, humanistic, it still has its roots in the sinful pride and selfishness of humanity. Second Peter 1, 19-21 reminds us that there's a close connection between the Holy Spirit and prophecy and teaching. Peter writes, we also have the prophetic message as something completely reliable. And you will do well to pay attention to it as to a light shining in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts. Above all, you must understand that no prophecy of Scripture came about by the prophet's own interpretation of things. 
For prophecy never had its origin in the human will, but prophets, though human, spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. In other words, God's Word is, is, is not human invention. It's not human creation. It's from God. It's His revealed will in this world. In fact, John notes that six times in our short passage, he says that it is from God. That phrase shows up. And so he says we must then test the spirits, test teaching. And, and the word test there means reveal its true character, to reveal you know, whether it is pure and genuine. It's the idea that, that, uh, of testing metals to determine their purity. And so we must reveal the true nature and origin of teaching, whether it's from God or, or not. See, in verse 4, John reminds us that God has given us His Holy Spirit and His Word to help us. The Holy Spirit is greater, more powerful than, than anything this world has to offer, greater than the enemy himself, just as light is greater than darkness, and truth is greater than a lie. In John 14-16, through 16, we see one of the main roles of the Holy Spirit is to guide us into all truth and to help us remember what Jesus taught. He is the Spirit of truth. And so, so knowing the Spirit is in us, we can have confidence that He will guide us and help us to remember what Jesus taught. But the only way we can do that, the only way we can remember what Jesus taught, is by knowing it in the first place. By being in God's Word and, and reading the Scriptures and, and understanding God's will for, for our lives and for our, our world. If we've never thought about it, if we've never read it, if we've never studied it, how can we... How can we remember God's Word? The Holy Spirit will help us understand what we're reading so that we may grow in the truth. And so we have the Spirit to guide us. We have God's Word to help us understand what true, uh, what, what is true and what is not. And then John gives us two questions for us to think about whenever we look at someone's teaching or where we look at a, a new way of thinking. One is, what does this teaching tell us about Jesus? The most important thing we can discern about a teacher or any sort of teaching is what they say about the person and work of Christ. John says that anyone who denies that Jesus has come in the flesh denies God himself. See, Scripture teaches us, and from the early church we've discovered that Jesus is both fully God and fully man. See, that was what John was pushing back against. That was a common, uh, uh, common false teaching was that God, or excuse me, that Jesus wasn't fully man or he wasn't fully God. He was one or the other. And Christians, we hold on to both. There's been other errors throughout church history. Some have said that Jesus never really died. He only appeared to die. Some claim that he was, there was no resurrection, that it was only a, 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 a spiritual thought or, or, a, or, a, or a conception. It was not truly a bodily resurrection. Some claim that Jesus was not sinless, that he was not perfect. Throughout church history, there have always been variations of these that have cropped up time and time again. A couple of weeks ago, I reminded you about what I consider the essential truths about who Jesus is that, that we need to hold on to. And I want to remind you of those again the incarnation, that Jesus is fully God and fully man, and he came to live among us. Two is that his sacri- about his sacrificial death, that Jesus died on the cross, truly died for us, that he died in our place. He took our sin upon himself. And third is the, the bodily, the physical resurrection of Christ, that the tomb truly was empty, and that he lives and reigns at the right hand of God today. You see, doctrine matters. What we believe about God matters because it informs how we live. 
And there's certain things that are either true or false, right? There's no gray area in between. Think of John 14, 6. Jesus saying, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except by me. Right? That statement is either true or false. There's really no middle ground that you can allow there. And so, what, and, and so we put our hope and put our trust that what Jesus says is true. And so we must determine, we must take a, take a look at what, what a teaching, what someone says about who Jesus is. And the second big question here is what does, does this teaching glorify the world in its point of view or does it glorify Christ? You see, our worldview is important. How we, how we think about things, how we filter information. And we, we, we have this social imagery about us that we don't even necessarily think about or it's not necessarily intentional. It just kind of comes with living in a world and living with culture with certain points of view. The pictures and ideas of our culture shape the way that we think and most of the time we're not even aware of it. We're culturally conditioned to value certain things over others, things like power and popularity, money and health and influence. And without realizing it, we start to apply these worldly values to how we live as Christians. We begin to run the church like a business rather than the body of Christ. We begin to follow Jesus only when it's convenient for us to do so. And we submit to Christian teaching as long as it doesn't interfere with the pursuit of other things. No, when we, when we value the world's point of view over Christ, then we are missing the point. Instead, we must allow the gospel to shape our worldview. Romans 12.2 says, Do not conform to the patterns of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to, approve what God, to test and approve what God's will is, His good, pleasing, and perfect will. Paul reminds us of the importance of not allowing ourselves, not allowing our thinking, not allowing our behavior and the way that we act in this world to be shaped by the world standards. Instead, we need to allow Christ to transform ourselves, beginning with our minds and our hearts and our behavior. Then we will be truly conformed and transformed into the image of Christ. When we allow the gospel to shape our point of view, it becomes much easier to detect and avoid false teaching because we begin to see it for what it really is. When we begin to think like Christ, when we begin to view things through the lens of the gospel, then we'll be able to see in a, in a more clear way what deviates from that. Because we will know his voice. In John chapter 10, Jesus describes himself as the great shepherd. In John 10 verses 3 and 4, he says, The gatekeeper opens the gate for him, and the sheep listen to his voice. He calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. When he has brought out all his own, he goes on ahead of them, and the sheep follow him because they know his voice. question for us to think about today is, do you recognize the voice of Jesus in your life? Do you recognize it when when God is speaking to you through the Scriptures, when the Holy Spirit prompts you in a certain direction? Do you recognize that, or do we fall victim to what all the other voices in the world are telling us? I want to just end with, a, with a, just a, a picture for you to think about, a, a scenario. When I was a, before I became a parent, I didn't know this was even possible, but, but there's been times when, when Allie and I and the kids are in, a, in the store, right? And sometimes we divide and conquer when it comes to shopping because we just need to get in and out as quickly as possible. And so, like, I'll take a list and I'll go over and get stuff and she's got the kids or vice versa. 
And it's amazing, from the other side of Walmart, you can hear your kid cry and know it's them, right? It's amazing. Like, and all the other voices, all the other kids crying are just, are nothing. But when it's your kid, you can hear it. And you know it's them. And you can even tell, like, oh, they're just, they're hungry. Or they're, they want a toy and dad said no. You know, like, you can even tell what the cry means. And it's amazing. Amongst all the other voices, amongst all the other noises, you can hear that. Jesus says, that's what my voice should be to you. Don't let all the other voices of the world, don't let all the other, all the other value systems, all those other things drown out my voice. Instead, hear when I call. Hear my voice through Scripture. Hear when the Holy Spirit is prompting you. See, that's why we need to be in Scripture. We need to know the Word of God so that we can hear and respond when He does call us. And in doing so, we'll be able to discern truth from fiction. Let's pray together. Lord God, I thank you for your grace. I thank you that you have given us your word and your spirit and that your spirit in us is greater than he who is in the world. Help us, Lord, to discern truth from fiction so that we may glorify you in everything we do. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Let's stand and sing the first verse of number 66, To God Be the Glory. seated. Let's take a moment and focus our hearts and our minds once again on Christ and what the sacrament represents. Lord God, I thank you so much for the gift of of your body and your blood, your body which was broken for us on the cross, your blood which was shed for us so that we may be forgiven. Lord, as we take this bread and take this juice, remind us, Lord, of, of two things. Remind us of our great need for you. Help us to examine our hearts and minds so that we may turn away from the things that are not pleasing to you, the sin that is in our lives, and turn towards you. And Lord, help us to be grateful. Help us to, to respond in thanks and praise for your great love and mercy, that even though we were sinners, Jesus, you died for us so that we may be forgiven. And Lord, help us to remember also that, that, and praise you, Lord, that we have brothers and sisters in Christ in this room and around the world, and even those that have gone before us, that have been recipients of your grace and your love. We pray this all in Christ's name. Amen. As Paul said, I received from the Lord what I also passed on to you. The Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread, and having given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. 
In the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Whenever you drink it, do so in remembrance of me. For whenever you eat this bread and you drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. So all you who have received Jesus Christ as your Lord and Messiah, take this holy sacrament to your comfort.
the body of our Lord Jesus Christ, which is broken for you and for all. Feed on him, feed on him in your hearts by faith with thanksgiving.
cleanses the blood of our Lord Jesus Christ, which was shed for you, a new covenant that was made in his blood so that our sins could be forgiven. Take and drink, knowing that he died for you. Let's pray together. Lord God, we thank you so much for this bread and this juice, which is a symbol, reminder, Lord, of your great love for us. Help us now as we go from this place to turn away from those things that are not pleasing to you and keep our focus completely and wholly on Jesus. Spirit, enable us to discern truth from error and and transform us, Lord, from the inside out so that our lives may greater reflect the glory of Christ. We pray this in his name. Amen. And now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than we can ask or imagine, according to his power that is at work within us, to him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. Amen. You may go in peace. Well, you know what? I'm 